with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome to the Friday Political Panel. Uh, I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and today we've got Art Betke, Nicole Fraser, Herb Martin, and James Steidel. I want to start off today talking about this interesting point. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, Canadians were given a kind of bill of rights for for uh, air travel, um, and the Canadian Transportation Agency was responsible for uh, for uh, actually administering this bill of rights. It's interesting. A couple of weeks ago, Andrew and Anna. Dichovsky, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, found that they were being uh, brought to court by Air Canada at, at, as part of an appeal from that Canadian Transportation Agency's ruling that Air Canada owed them $1,000 each. This is going to get a little complicated, but the, the changes to the way the Canadian Transportation Agency handles those complaints mean that now if there's an appeal it actually goes to federal court and if you're in federal court you may be on the hook for if you lose the other party's legal fees uh experts are complaining that this may lead to a flooding of the court in the courts um for these complaints art i mean what are we supposed to do here if we have a complaint against an air an air traffic or uh, sorry an airline um in 2024 now uh is this just a matter of getting bullied back, or should we be, like, lawyering up here? Uh, don't fly Air Canada, I guess. I don't know. Uh, this case, I, I, it looks like intimidation to me. You know, you, you take a few of these people uh, to court and uh, sue the pants off them, and you don't get any more complaints for quite some time, so... Now, this fellow, Andrew, he says he followed all the steps outlined by the Canadian Transportation Act. So he did nothing wrong. And so how how come he can be now sued? Uh, this was uh, something, th- his complaint was from four years ago. And the, the, there were changes to the Canadian Transportation Act made last year. So Air Canada is now suing them for something that four years ago under regulations that only existed since last year. How can you retroactively apply laws back like that? I, that doesn't seem... They should they should be penalized for trying to do something like that. It just seems... Unless there's something I'm missing here, it, it seems incredibly ridiculous. Uh, Nicole, I mean, I guess the point of these changes is so that there's actually due process being being put into these complaints before it was this Canadian Transportation Agency that was rolling through these complaints. Um, the if, if courts had to hear an appeal to the complaint, the facts of the case that were found by the Canadian Transportation Agency could not be appealed. Um, is this just a matter of ensuring that there's due process for Canadians or something else going on? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think this is another case of watering down of legislation and enforcement that we've been seeing uh, for the past like four decades. Uh, it's, uh, you know, legislation is, is certainly more and more uh, leaning towards um, deference for corporate interests. And I think this is just uh, another case of, you know, the 
Canadian government uh, being able to, you know, tell citizens that they're they're acting in their best interests and they're trying to, you know, make the uh, process clearer. Um, but it's it's not. There's no enforcement. We saw this with CRTC, um, with the uh, Rogers outage, uh, and I, I mean the. I was reading an article out of uh, Policy Options, and they said between March uh, 2020 and September 2022, the CTA only gave out 16 tickets to carriers for noncompliance with the air transportation um, regulations, and the sum of all of those tickets in the two-year period was uh, less than $69,000. So, and I think that, and they have never given out the maximum of $25,000. So this is a case, uh, I, I agree with Art, of intimidation. And um, it's, it's, again, we're, we're having the public, individuals, shoulder all the weight of, and responsibility of, of enforcement, which should not be with them. Herb, I mean, this is $1,000 each that the Joukowskis, Dachowskis were, uh, were awarded. You know, I don't want to make that. That number is actually pretty 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 high in my view for a 24-hour delay um i don't know whether they were given any kind of other compensation like a place to stay um i've certainly had to stay at <laughs> stay at the airport every once in a while for having you know a delay like that um and these air airlines have very low margins are they just trying as art saying they're trying to kind of ensure that people are afraid to actually go through these processes but are they also kind of protecting their own bottom line there without knowing the uh, the merits of the case um it's, it's really hard to say i mean look it, it's not inconceivable that you know it was fraud i mean you know we don't know but but really the, the whole the whole procedure really should be extrajudicial right like it's if you're delayed or whatever by the airlines and there's a fixed amount that, that you're supposed to get, then that should just be uh, applied, sort of like workers' compensation. Uh, if you're hurt on the job, you don't have to go through uh, a court to, uh, uh, procedure to sue your employer. There's already a procedure in place. And, um, uh, you know, I guess as a last resort, people can can take, you know, uh, WCB to court, but it's extremely difficult to, to win. Um, but for the most part, I think WCB seems to work for most people fairly well and i think this is what should happen here i mean the it, it does seem like in this case that the courts perhaps are being used as a bludgeon and um it's it's unfair so i mean in the in the case of say a, a small plane flying in a pressure it might have 100 people on it uh if that if if all 100 of those people was, was given a thousand dollar refund just imagine the the implications for you know we have these big corporations who run our airlines in Canada. What's the impact going to be? Are they going to actually be able to shoulder that, that financial burden? Or is that going to push them to change their ways? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they can change their ways considering the staffing shortages and the chaos that we've been seeing in these Canadian airline, the Canadian airports. James? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Rez. Uh, you know, looking looking at this case, is, I think the bigger implications uh, need to be considered here. At what point are we going to start worrying about complaining about, you know, our telephone service or our Internet service? You know, when I call up TELUS about my Internet being crappy and, you know, I, I haggle with them and get 20 bucks knocked off my monthly fee, are they going to come back at me and, and sue me for, you know, <laughs> to, get, to get this money back? So there, I think there is like a little bit of a slippery slope here where, 
you know, the public standing up for their interests and, you know, their rights, you know, they, are you going to get kicked to the ground by some big corporation that, that wants to fight back? I mean, uh, I haven't looked at the year, the annual report of Air Canada, how profitable they are or whatnot, but I, I do think there needs to be some kind of accountability measure in there for the consumer. And, yeah, if you have an airplane full of 100 people and, you know, they all have to uh, rearrange their lives because, you know, some an airplane wasn't maintained properly or whatever or didn't, didn't make it into the airport on time and people miss connection flights. I mean, I hear all sorts of horror stories in, in airports. I mean, there's, there's tons of, of examples. And if there isn't going to be accountability and if you complain about it and you're going to get dragged to court and be responsible for thousands of dollars of of penalties for for daring to complain about something you know obviously that's not right but yeah it's a it's an interesting subject and and like herb says we don't know the facts of the case uh but in general it seems to me this is definitely an issue not just for air travel but i think across the board for for dealing with regulated kind of quasi monopolies that we have across the board in the society mm-hmm. There's, there was one other uh, recent case uh, a couple sued westjet because they spent three and a half miserable days in Mexico. So. <laughs> oh, for the weather. I remember that. Oh, my goodness. Was it raining? I guess it was yeah. raining. Yeah, and they didn't have good, the food wasn't great or something. Um, it's interesting, this guy Gabor Lukacs, who's kind of an air traffic or air transport uh, expert, he's actually saying, don't worry about this Canadian Transportation Agency. Just go to small claims. Like, if you've got, if you've got a real complaint, don't even worry about this thing anymore. So it seems like our, our consumer protections have just been yeah. taken away from us. Well, and I think the, the, the bigger thing is, too, is that this is across all levels of government. Like, I mean, here we're talking about, um, you know, like Air Canada or CRTC. But, I mean, you look at all levels of government, federal, provincial, local government. Um, are our bylaws being enforced? Um, it, you know, the, the courts really, there's a ton of deference given to, to particularly local governments to determine what is in the public good um and so i think this is a part of a bigger issue here art yeah i just got to mention that uh i very limited experience with air canada but the last time it was my screw up and they went way out of their way to help me out so i was very grateful for that so i I don't think they're just totally bad guys (laughs) nice hey they they take us places in the air i mean we sometimes we forget that this is kind (laughs) of miraculous right Uh, I want to move on to, oh, this is just a real big local uh, scandal, frankly. Uh, So the civil rights of of Prince George citizens are being tested on the soccer pitch this week. Uh, There was a motion brought towards to the PG Soccer Association's annual general meeting by Terry Carter, Cal Bassey, and Richard Ryan to change the 50-plus co-ed drop-in league to men only uh the this was uh, apparently on the on the agenda for last year's AGA but they ran out of time to discuss it Carrie Daly is the only woman who plays in this drop-in league partly because they schedule the other league the other women's leagues at the same time as this drop-in league um and she's kind of been put in this strange position where I mean, functionally, it sounds like these three guys are just trying to get her out of playing with them. However, the soccer association said they would grandfather her in since she was already playing there. I should mention before we discuss this that the motion brought forward by these three guys was dis- was dismissed, was not dismissed, was voted down um, by a pretty high margin. But 
I guess the point that, that I want to bring up here is like, should we be actually asking these kinds of questions in 2024? Um, and this is a question of law that I don't know the answer to. Do private clubs like the PG Soccer Association have the right to um, to to kind of segregate things based on gender, which they already do in their other in their other leagues, um, or other other kind of identity markers? Nicole, you want to go first? I, I honestly was in disbelief uh, when I read when I read this. Um, I think it's it's appalling, frankly. Um, we're not talking about a competitive league here. Uh, it's drop-in soccer. Um, so, I mean, my question would be to the three gentlemen as to, I'd, I'd like to know why they felt that they did not want to have this woman playing with them. Uh, you know, the rationale behind uh, this motion, I think, would be very interesting. Maybe you can get, get them on your uh, show, Rez. Uh, but I, I think we should not. The, the fact that this conversation is even on the table or that they would even feel comfortable saying it out loud in public, I think that's that's a little scary here. Uh, I know I, I swim with the Masters uh, Swim Club. It's not competitive. And I swim primarily in the lane with the guys because I swim all year round. And, um, th- you know, the pace that they keep is, is one that, you know, works better for me. Uh, so th- the fact that these three men uh, felt that comfortable enough to bring this forward um i I think there's a bigger issue here and you know i applaud uh carrie for uh you know standing up for not only her right but i think the right of all all women to be playing in that league so um yeah it's uh i'm glad it's it's a discussion that's being had because i think uh, it's something we should we should certainly be talking about in prince george herb um i just answered my own question at least in ontario uh, there is a ruling from the Human Rights Commission that says, you know, you can, quote, discriminate or g- grant differential service based on age, gender, and family status. And that's to cover things like family, group pricing discounts, and I assume to be able to, to uh, have different leagues based on gender. Um, but in the over 50 case for drop-in, do you think that it's worthwhile to be trying to maybe say that, oh, we should have a men's drop-in and a women's drop-in? Well, it doesn't sound like there's uh, enough women for a drop-in uh, over 50. So, um, I mean, why why can't these people be a little more flexible? I don't know. They're getting old. And <laughs> you got a bunch of old guys that uh, just can't see past their... Uh, their gender i don't know it's 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 just an odd story it's it's kind of sad but in uh, you know um on the bright side uh but you know it was overturned and um it was voted down yeah yeah yeah. it voted down and 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 basically uh yeah things things are continuing as they were so i mean i guess that's kind of a happy ending i guess on that on that point about the vote james i mean are those kinds of things like do you think that the pg soccer association should have made the effort to dismiss the dismiss that motion is that something that you think that they should have had something you know stood up a little more forcefully for yeah it's a, it's a really interesting question it uh, i did a lot of research uh, last night and this morning here looked at the societies act of bc I actually called the human rights commission in ottawa this morning to see if they had an answer and yeah there's there's a little bit of ambiguity as far as uh, societies and and you know how they can discriminate you know if, if we wanted to have like an old curmudgeon club uh and we've got it yeah, <laughs> we're on the air, with and, we, and we want to meet up and, at your house. You know, that's a private facility. You could probably get away with it. I think there's a little bit of a gray area here, and that the, the soccer, this, these, these uh, soccer associations, they play on a public facility, 
Okay, now if you look at the, the Human Rights, uh, uh, the BC Human Rights Act, okay, you cannot, you cannot discriminate um, on a facility customarily available to the public, which, you know, this is a public facility. So I think there, there's, there's an issue here where you have taxpayer-funded facilities where you have an association trying to uh, discriminate against certain people. Uh, which I think is a, is a huge problem. You know, it's not like, and, and they, they want to portray this as a decision just for the Prince George Soccer Association. But I think it has a broader public implication. I think, you know, it's absolutely important that we have this discussion on air and in the newspaper and, and ask our opinions. And my opinion is, frankly, it's ridiculous that they had that vote. I, I don't think it should have been, I mean, it's a, it's a co-it also, like constitutionally, I looked at the constitution of, of the, the Soccer Association, it's pretty vague, but, you know, you've got a co-ed, uh, soccer association is kind of like the founding principle of that group as as its constitutional makeup is a co-ed league and now you're going to vote on the very the very basis of this and then deny that it seems it seems like not a thing that should even be voted on that's my two cents all right i know you want to get in here but we do have to take a short break we'll be back after these messages welcome to lamplighter theater's very first audio drama musical many many questions girl named Kitty, a mysterious note, and a quest that will change her eternity. This is Hungering and Thirsting. Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Northern Health is taking actions to continue protecting people, communities, and the health care system this respiratory season by encouraging people in the North aged six months and older to get their COVID-19 and influenza vaccines. Visit getvaccinated.gov.bc.ca to get registered. Invitations will then be sent by email and text message with an invitation link to book your vaccine appointment. If you need help scheduling your vaccines, call 1-833-838-2323. Visit northernhealth.ca for clinic information in your community. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call 250-617-7467 and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467 or check out our website, Pivot leader.com at pivot leader we help you grow train and sell your business forecast from environment canada a mix of sun and cloud today becoming cloudy near noon a 30 percent chance of showers late this afternoon wind from the south at 20 gusting to 40 starting late this morning a high of eight cloudy tonight a 60 percent chance of showers or flurries gusting winds continuing from the north a low of minus eight with a wind chill to minus 14 for saturday mainly sunny gusting north winds becoming light in the morning a high of minus three with an afternoon wind chill to minus eight You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Art, we're talking co-ed soccer and whether this is a civil rights issue. What's your take? Well, first of all, I can't imagine why the three complainants didn't want women in there with them unless she embarrassed them by being so much better. Uh, But, you know, this this is one of the few sports where men and women can play equally and I got to say it, compete on a level playing field. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you can run and kick, you can play. And, uh, you know, 
that that's it. Uh, but you know, the truth be told, this league has only been co-ed for four years. It was voted in to be co-ed. So, and the other point is, if it's discriminatory to exclude women in their league, then it's also uh, discriminatory to exclude men from the women's league. So, I don't really see a problem here. It's not very nice of them, and and I, as I said, I don't know why, but I don't think this is a big uh, civil rights issue at all. Tempest in a teapot? Yeah. With these three guys who clearly lost the vote anyway. <laughs> uh, I want to move on to actually w- really big news coming out of Ottawa. They had signaled this intention to uh, impose an international student camp across the country based on you know provincial numbers, etc. Um, and they, they, that came down this week, this last week. Um, with BC actually um, putting further further regulations around it, um, I just want to throw some numbers in here. You know, for, before I say that, like you know, the background of this is the the concern that international students are increasing rents because they're 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 increasing the demand for uh, housing, etc. Um, that's one of the main reasons that they put in there. There are other kind of secondary reasons about um, the quality of education at private institutions. I want to say. So just numbers here. Right now, there's 175,000 um, international students in BC. And under the current uh, federal regulations, you would uh, allow 83,000 applications. That would likely result in about 50,000 permits. So while there are a number of those 175K that are grandfathered in through already ha- being part of the, you know, uh, the, the, the college system, university system, this will mean a significant reduction in the number of uh, international students who are coming in. Herb, you know, when we're looking at 40% of CNC students and 20% mm-hmm. of UMBC, they're going to be looking at a funding shortfall. But I think more importantly, maybe for the region here, what are we going to do uh, for low-cost, uh, like low-wage jobs, which are actually, when I look around, often filled by uh, international students? Well, I don't think the numbers are finalized yet. So, I mean, EB has been talking to Trudeau about um, uh, about actually how many, uh, uh, what kind of uh, uh, cap is going to be put on. So, I think I think there's that's moving target. I think there's some gen- genuine concern about the the quality of the education that that some of the students are getting, um, and uh, there's concern that uh, foreign students have been showing up at food banks. Um, so you know that uh, you know if we can't as a society provide a, you know a good educational experience for these people, uh, you know we we should be cutting back, right? I mean, it's it's unfair for the students to to a large extent, and I think a lot of uh, uh, there was a, a spokesman for uh, the student association, I think uh, that uh, said as much, you know that, uh, and I've heard complaints from uh, Sikh uh, students that. Uh, some of the degrees that they're getting really are are not um, not totally useful. Uh, you know that there's a lot of uh, uh, well, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of students come here with the hope that they're going to get their PR, the permanent residency, and they're going to get a job, and um, only two thirds of them do, and that's a significant cash outlay for a lot of these people and their families. Uh, in India, the average uh, salary is twenty four hundred dollars a year. 
and uh, you know we've we've raised the uh, entrance requirements so that uh, students have to come here with twenty thousand dollars. So you can imagine that we're we're actually getting uh, you know the cream of the crop. Uh, you know their 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 children are, are or the the families are sending their children overseas uh, for you know a good education and, and decent opportunities. And if we can't give them that, maybe we should be cutting back. I mean, James, what do you think about the arguments about? the quality but also frankly like what how canadian society has kind of become a little dependent on on international students both in terms of subsidizing our own uh the education for our own students here and like i say for low wages yeah it's it's definitely as a strategy and a, and and a reason for the policy that we have as, as far as temporary foreign workers and international students you know the i think some of these students are really take, being taken advantage of. I, I don't think necessarily here in Prince George they have good options for education here. I think CNC is a, is a great college, a great place for an international student to come and, and get an education or UNBC. I think some of the issue is, is more in these metropolitan areas where you're getting these kind of pop-up fake colleges and strip malls, and there's a lot of these. Uh, in, in the last six months, I've been reading about quite a few of these, these new kind of fake colleges. And... Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a parasitic relationship on these on these students coming in. I mean, they, they their families go into huge debt to get an education in Canada, and then they go and and you know just basically probably some internet courses, or it's just not a great education, and they end up getting used for by for corporate interest to to provide cheap labor. So that's not a really it's not a win situation for anybody other than other than these in, these corporate uh, interests. The impact on Prince George. I mean, may, maybe some, maybe to some degree, some of these uh, college mills will close down in some of the bigger cities, and maybe more of these international students will come to a place like Prince George, where you actually have a legitimate college, and and they could get a good education. So it remains to be seen about the local impact, but there's definitely some issues with uh, with the broader question here of, of international students and the numbers we allow in. All right, I mean, what are we going to do uh, with, for instance, people who are working grocery stores, um, people who are washing dishes? Where are we going to find those people if uh, if this number of international students that coming to Prince George drops drastically in the next year? Well, you know what I've heard, uh, I've seen the experience uh, when uh, there's a shortage of workers, the prices, uh, the wages go up, the prices that they are willing to pay go up because they need people and uh, they get them. I recall in Alberta way back uh, decades ago. Uh, I think the minimum wage was $6 an hour, one of the lowest in Canada, but every fast food place was starting wage was 15 bucks an hour. So I think that would be one of the effects. Um, but I think, you know, they're, they're taking the wrong approach. Uh, you know, it's a matter of uh, housing and uh, being able to accommodate them all. Uh, they should be looking at the immigration levels rather than the student levels. I mean... Uh, immigration, we, we cannot absorb that many, and the, the, the foreign students are kind of like a part of that demographic, and uh, they, they shouldn't be the ones suffering as a result. And, and as those others have mentioned already, uh, there seems to be some a number of private schools that hand out useless, bogus degrees uh, just to get them in and collect all the cash, and Boy, they should be clamping down on that before clamping down on the students themselves. All right, we've got to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages.
The Prince George RCMP is asking for your help in finding 28-year-old Brittany Jean Schramm. Brittany has not been seen by family since early December and is described as an indigenous female, 5 foot 7, 150 pounds, with brown eyes and long black hair. She was last seen wearing dark snow pants, a green winter jacket, and a pink headband. If you know the whereabouts of Brittany Schramm, please call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. Hi, I'm Darren Guest from Northland Dodge. People hate buying cars. I hate buying cars. If you're holding off buying because you don't want to deal with the hassle, I'm here to make it easy for you. Northland Dodge has more trucks in stock than we have had in the past three years. Plus, we have a huge assortment of awesome used trucks and SUVs. No pressure, no hard sell. Stop by for a coffee and I'll help you find the vehicle that's right for you. I'm Darren Guest, Northland Dodge, dealer number 30541. Indoor public skating season is on through March at Kopar Memorial Arena and the Elk Center. Sessions are available Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Private rental times are also available for birthday parties and special events. Full details and more information can be found under the programs menu at thenorthedge.co. Whether you're an expert skater or a beginner, indoor public skating is open for you Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at Kopar Memorial Arena or the Elk Center. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats. Founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982, Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, Nicole, we're talking about this international student cap. What do you think the impact is going to be here in Prince George? Well, I think it's going to be significant um, at UNBC. Uh, You know, we have a a huge number of uh, international students uh, attending UNBC, and I, I definitely think that more can be done. Uh, to you know, help that the transition, um, but I think that you know the the headline really you know misses the the mark. You know, we're talking about. I think the the government's official you know release said that this is this cap is a way to um, address the rapid increases in the number of international students arriving in Canada that put pressure on housing, uh, healthcare, and other services. So it's two different issues uh, we've got here. You know are the international students causing, you know, a housing shortage and uh, pressure on healthcare? No, that's, you know, decades of not addressing uh, the, you know, some major structural issues, um, you know, municipal, provincial, federal policies, um, developers, um, central bank policies, rather than, um, you know, the international students. Um, and are international students, I think, being exploited? Absolutely. But then that's something that we need to look at and we need to regulate and we need to enforce. Um, but again, I think we're just, uh, it's a very simple narrative that people can kind of attach themselves to and be like, yeah, that's the reason why we're having these issues. Uh, and it completely misses the completely misses the mark. All right. We're going to move on to some competing narratives about crime in Dawson Creek and I think the, the Peace Region in general. Uh, Mike Bernier, MLA for Peace River South, has kind of been banging this drum for the last couple of years, calling on coordination at all levels of government to attack crime, asking his constituents to you know, write letters down to, to Victoria to get some attention, um, and also claiming that there is some political kind of 
preferential treatment in places like Nanaimo that have similar similar issues that are getting more resources from Victoria. And at the same time, just last week, the RCMP came out and said, hey, we've had actually a drop in crime uh, over the last year, drop in the, the number of crimes being uh, called in. Of course, this comes uh, after a year in 2023 when each of the last two years had record high rates of crime. Uh, James, what's the story here? And like my my my, I guess, question is, are are those kind of rates of crime really things that are impacting uh, individual people in the piece or are they really kind of targeted amongst those organized criminal elements? From, from what I understand, there's, there's been some violent crime on the rise in, in recent recent times. There's possibly some gang-related violence. As, as far as I understand, some, some RCMP ta- uh, gang task force members were brought into the region, and apparently that, uh, that reduced some of the violence. I, I think, for me, one, one of the bigger elements of this story is, like, who, <clears throat> who creates the narrative and, and who, who is telling stories now that we've lost a lot of our media up there in the piece? You know, we, there's no more newspapers up there. And our news is being reported on a couple of the, the radio station there, CJDC, I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it is, which is owned by Bell Media, and a couple of um, a couple of blogs and uh, radio. So there's not a lot of media up there. So now, so now what we have is not act, like reporting isn't actually happening. And you've got th- organizations like the RCMP or a political party trying to create the narrative, and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of um, you know maybe truth for lack of a better word is being is being told. I mean, the, the RCMP story that we had a reduction in crime is very marginal. I think it went from like 9,600 cases to 9,300 reported cases. And, and like you said, Rez, there's record high rates of crime before that. So, yeah, I think there, there's a lot more to the story that uh, we aren't being told. And it's I think it's a good example of how what happens when you start losing your media is there's confusion and, and you have different organizations, kind of, which it always happens to some degree. But like another interesting aspect of the story is like the Prince George citizen is the one reporting on Dawson Creek issues. Yeah. They still, I think they still have a local journalism reporter being funded up there because uh, the paper that did close was part of Glacier Media, which was up until I think yesterday, the, uh, the uh, parent company of the citizen as well. Right. Um, Art, the, the narrative that Mike Bernier is spinning here is that it's another issue of catch and release. And I know that this has got to be coming from, his higher ups in the party as well. Uh, do you buy that narrative? Is it? Is it? Do you think that that's one of the main issues here, or do you have other issues like a bunch of young people with lots of money from working in oil and gas drawing in criminals who are selling them drugs? I think it's a combination of the two. Um, the catch and release always encourages more crime and encourages increasing severity of the crime. And uh, yeah, there's uh, the oil patch has been profitable lately and so young guys are making lots of money and yeah organized crime will will find that an attractive uh, location so yeah i think that's happening uh, as the, uh, the, the the police report said you know the the decreasing crime is in the rural areas not the urban areas where all the gangs are or the drug dealers or whatever uh and you know something that's shocking like there was a 10 shootings over the course of five days in november you know that really comes gets people's attention. It rings the alarm bells, and uh, so even though overall crime in the area went down, uh, in some places it went way up. So I can understand people being alarmed, and you know I think they should 
takes take a, a a good look at this and do something about it. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, my question then is, why haven't they done something about it? As such a small community, don't tell me that they don't know who is actually committing these crimes, right? So you know, is this Nicole? Like, like back to that same question. Is this kind of a, a symptom of further issues with our criminal justice system? Or is this a matter of resources then? Like, it does have, I mean, I will say, I look at the crime rate, uh, the crime rates in Fort St. John are, oh, sorry, Dawson Creek are some, somewhere near twice the provincial average, mm-hmm. right? Both violent and property. Yeah, I, I think it speaks a lot to the. Um there, there's some root causes, I think, uh, that uh, are, I, th- I think, more important to look at than bringing in more police uh, and, and policing. I think it's uh, supply and demand. I mean, if you don't have the demand, uh, the supply, uh, you know, d- doesn't need to be there. And I know I lived in Fort St. John for uh, some time. Um, my father-in-law uh, lived in Dawson Creek his entire life, so I spent a lot of time up there. And, um, I mean, as a you know, law-abiding citizen who is not actively buying or doing drugs. I never felt unsafe in either, you know, living in Fort St. John or Dawson Creek. Um, you know, I think a lot of these, um, you know, the, the, the crimes that are happening, these shootings are, you know, they're, they're gang-related. And I think that uh, if we really want to, to you know, end this or, or deal with it, we need to look at some of the issues, the societal issues. I mean, you've got people up there that are making, you know, a huge amount of money. There's, you know, very little uh, in terms of like recreation or like social networks, like community networks. It's very transitory. So you've got a, a you know, a, a huge population of young, young men uh, primarily uh, up there making lots of money and looking for somewhere to spend it. And I think that's that's more of the issue. Do I think that more, you know, policing is going to address that uh, issue? I, I, I don't think so. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with Herb's comments. The Alzheimer's Society of BC has social programs for people living with early stage dementia and caregivers. Coffee and Chat is designed to help you meet new people, engage in social activities, and have fun. Full details are available online at alzbc.org slash coffee dash chat. Coffee and Chat, every second Thursday from 11 to noon. Register for an online session by calling the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. Prince George RCMP are looking for Gary Lee Felix, wanted for possession of stolen credit cards and failure to comply with a probation order. Felix is described as an Indigenous male, 5 foot 11, 190 pounds, with black hair, brown eyes, and a tattoo of the letters C-G on his left forearm. If you know the whereabouts of Gary Felix, call the RCMP at 250-561-3300 or anonymously contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS. Your community, your call. Report crime anonymously 24-7, 365 days a year by calling Northern BC Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477 or online at northernbccrimestoppers.ca. Our next Community Shredded event is Saturday, April 27th from 10 till 2 at the PGSS parking lot. Shred your personal documents safely and securely with a $10 donation per bag or box. To keep up to date, follow on Facebook, Instagram, or northernbccrimestoppers.ca. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Herb, you got last word on this. Dawson Creek, you know, having this, although 
slight reduction in in crime this this last year from the RCMP perspective still very high uh you know what's the cause and what are we to do about it yeah you know I, there's uh i think it was mark twain so there's lies damn lies and statistics <laughs> and you know and the fact that uh, a politician would want to capitalize on that you know it's shocking <laughs> it's, 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 it's really shocking <laughs> so you know i mean the city of prince george actually ranks uh, as the the uh, the, uh, the municipality with the highest um, uh, crime severity index so nbc it, nbc and yeah. it's ranged from a high of uh, 250 to a low of 100 uh, in in 2019 to a low of 129 in 2014 so you know these things come in waves, um, you know, and um, uh, you know I, I, I think overall, it, you know, if if things are really as bad as they 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 are made out to be, uh, things would would actually get done. I I I, I think that you have to sort of step back a little bit and um, uh, take everything with a grain of salt. Interesting. I mean, I wonder. I still wonder about. Uh, we were talking about this at, at the break. You know, you still have the the demand for the drugs. Assuming that it's the drug trade that is causing this, which I think we, I think we can safe safe assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, if you reduce that supply by making raids and taking people out of the about of that criminal element, if there's still the demand for the drugs, then people will come back in and figure out how to how to get the drugs through. Right? I mean, no amount. It seems to me that no amount of police intervention in the drug trade has has reduced the amount of drugs available which is kind of sad and scary. I want to move on to uh, this crazy story coming out of New Hampshire. Uh, People in New Hampshire were receiving phone calls from Joe Biden telling them not to vote in the primary. (laughs) Say, save your vote for the actual election. I think there was something about if you vote in the primary, you won't be able to vote in the election, which is also untrue. Turns out, of course, that this was not Joe Biden, even though he mentioned malarkey, his famous catchphrase. Uh, and we've got, I think, the first instance of a an AI-created uh, voice in intervening in American politics, although we've seen this in other politics. Um, Art, I mean, this is clearly a symptom of, or, or a harbinger of, of things to come, uh, what are we supposed to do about this? Pretty soon we're not going to be able to tell the difference, right? Yeah, it, it's not the first time this has been done. Uh, I think it was done to Donald Trump in the last election. Uh, somebody was able to fake his voice somehow. Wow. And uh, I can't remember just what it was, but it's, you know, it's a few years ago. My memory isn't that good. Uh, but, you know, election fraud and meddling, that's pretty well rampant in the United States. So this is just the next... Uh, iteration of it I gotta wonder who it was intended to help yeah good because question. Biden wasn't even on the ballot yeah uh, maybe they were just testing something out I don't know um, yeah and, and it will if an electorate's kind of gullible enough to fall for oh don't vote for him in the, or else you won't be able to vote for him later like really then maybe they shouldn't be voting at all you know they're not paying enough attention to the whole process. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we're going we're gonna to see more of it, uh, and probably it'll be a little m- more accurate and deadly than this one. This one seems just ridiculous. 
Nicole, we've got already really historic lows all across the board in terms of voter turnout. These kinds of things, I think, are are directly impacting people's trust in the system. And, well, in this case, if you believed him, you you would stay home, right? And I'm sure that there are some people who believed him, whether or not they should be voting or not, I guess. <laughs> you know, everyone's, everyone's got the right to vote regardless of whether you're gullible or not. Uh, like, how is there, are, can you see a way forward in terms of policing this kind of action? Well, I, I mean, I have to say I like Art's comment there about, uh, I mean, people being being gullible. Because I do think that, that, that I, I think it comes down to public awareness. This isn't going away anytime soon. And I think that we need to engage people to think critically again, which seems to be like a dying art or... Um, skill set perhaps uh, these days and uh, you know I, I think that we see this straight across the board you know misinformation disinformation and what's scary to me is is that you know we've, we've heard a lot of about fake news and people not trusting media not trusting you know reputable sources and what is what does this do then to you know further erode uh, the some of the you know facts um, or the truths that are out there when you have you know things like this um, getting making their way around. So I, I think it's a bit of a two-prong approach. I think that we governments need to do a lot more to um, you know enact laws and strengthen the um, penalties associated with you know uh, technologies such as this, or uh, perhaps you know corporations that are involved in, in creating them um, if they're misused. Uh, but I think the second piece is is a huge. Uh, you know, um, effort to, to get people involved and get them to critically uh, start thinking about issues uh, at a you know all levels of, of government, and uh, and and going back to like searching out some of the facts, like looking at reputable sources and saying, does this make does this make sense? Like, if I were to get a phone call like that, uh, you know, where would I call to 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 check, fact check this? And I think that's really important. Uh, especially as the these narratives are being controlled by government, and now again, like the city of Prince George has a fact-checking page, uh, you know, and and like James was saying earlier, you know, we've got media that that no longer is, is really acting as these um, watchdogs. So I think it's a big big issue. Herb, I mean, we have we have seen actually uh, political parties benefit from the reduction of voter turnout because then they know exactly what kinds of demographics are voting. Do you think that it might actually be political parties who are who are who are working on these kinds of uh, actions in order to further kind of narrow the focus that they that can then use to to determine how people vote? Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. And then some some uh, political parties are are more interested in doing that than others. I think in the states, it's uh, been shown that Republicans are uh, actively pursuing voter suppression. So look, there's one pretty simple way to get around this I, you know i'm a big believer in the, uh, the silent majority and and the vast majority of people uh, do have common sense but uh you know so many people especially in canada and the u.s have been just assuming that someone else is going to go and vote and do the right thing in australia it's mandatory to vote hmm. you you basically have a you have a tax credit by getting you lose money if you don't vote and uh which is actually a pretty uh, uh a good way to incentivize people because really if if you don't vote you are going to lose money you're going to get ruled by people that are idiots or have an agenda so um yeah you sh you know you basically you should be getting out there and protecting your interests 
and um, it, and it and it would you know it basically uh, would erase a lot of the problems that we're seeing. You know this claim that the Chinese embassy is influencing the uh, mayoralty race in Vancouver when only 33% of the people came out to vote, right? I mean, basically, that wouldn't happen. Those claims wouldn't be made if everybody voted. All right, we've got to take a short break. We'll be back with James's comments after this. If you're looking for a venue space for your next creative adventure, Studio 2880 has you covered. The Jack Bryant Room is an open concept ground floor venue, or you can rent a second floor workshop zone. The gift shop is also available for your pop-up sales event, and upstairs are the Arts North Studios, where you can utilize modern equipment to film, stream, project, or play your digital files. Check out studio2880.com under Facility Rental and book for your event today. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. A priest, a minister, and a rabbi walked into Deb's Cafe. Deb asked them, what is this, some kind of joke? Like everyone else, they just wanted great coffee, a fresh, hearty lunch, and some tasty baked treats. Our specialty bakery also offers numerous choices that please diabetic and gluten-sensitive customers. If you're ready for a treat, let us put a smile on your face at Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, next to Pharmasave at 7th and Quebec. There are so many ways to enjoy the great taste of Boston pizza, it's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com. Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George on Central Street West and Vance Road. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. James, are we going to see a deep fake of you telling people not to vote in the next election when... uh when you run again? Oh, I'm sure it's it's already happened. You know, it's a, it happens. It's this is a story as old as the hills, like Art says. You know, fake quotes. You know, f- false false uh, representations. All this stuff. This is this is just part of politics. I think the bigger issue here is how how information is getting out there to the public. And you know, in Australia, requiring people to vote that doesn't mean Rupert Murdoch isn't manipulating a population with a bunch of BS on on all the radio stations and newspapers that he owns. And, you know, and Facebook is, is a huge factor in all this stuff. I mean, there's, there's fake news going out around on Facebook all the time. And I do, I do think, it, you know, at a certain, to a certain degree, it is kind of scary that basically the society can be completely misinformed by so much stuff. A lot of this stuff can be manipulated by uh, non-state actors. You know, China, Russia are actively engaged in destabilizing democracy and, and confusion and creating chaos and all this stuff jokes aside, or yeah, this is kind of a joke, but you know, there's something to be said about uh, the old Athenian democracy where you got to go to the local town hall and vote on stuff. And I think it's all a big argument. Eventually, we're going to have to go back to those kind of more localized forms of decision making where we can cut through all the chaff and, and make decisions that are informed by, by reality and 
and you know stop being involved in this kind of wizard of oz kind of man behind the curtain situation that the world is increasingly moving towards wow i mean it's a related it's a related point i just want to in the last couple of minutes point out that uh the foreign interference uh public inquiry has started marie jose Ugg, if people are are following along at home she uh she actually did the last inquiry into the emergency act i believe uh she's kind of become a a a, a kind of staple of the inquiry scene i guess um it's just starting but the big the big questions that are happening now are actually around procedure what information can be shared with the canadian public and for me the big question is what what should be kept secret and for what reasons if if we have for instance reports from CSIS that there is you know maybe it's interference in the chinese uh sorry in the uh vancouver electoral uh race by the chinese government uh, shouldn't we know about that? Why is this only going through the the channels that lead to the prime minister, uh, and then he's allowed to ignore it? Uh, we got a couple minutes here, Nicole. You go first. Yeah, I think I think a lot more information needs to be made available. I mean, you see this again, kind of at all levels uh, of of government. The Freedom of Information Privacy Protection Act here, I think it really protects um, for kind of corporate interests. Uh, in this case, you know, government interests, and I don't think it is is for the, the public interest anymore. And we're just, I think it's an example of, again, moving further and further away from what uh, what is in the interest of, of the public uh, versus uh, politicians. Uh, and it's uh, it's something that I think we definitely need to demand more information uh, about. Herb, I mean, uh, state secrets, you think those things actually exist or is this just a way to maintain power amongst a few kind of spy masters in Ottawa? Uh, I think there's probably a foreign interference happening uh, amongst all the parties by various foreign uh, powers. Uh, and I think that's probably everyone's got a vested interest in not letting that get out of the bag. And I'd, I'd like to make a, a quick uh, note here is that um, Pierre Polyev is, is the only opposition leader never to have a security clearance. And, um, and he refuses to get one. So it was really interesting. What's the? You'll, can you tease that out a little bit, Herb? Well, he he basically claims he doesn't want to be influenced by any any information that might come from uh, CSIS, or he wants to be able to. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. James, I mean, foreign interference is happening, as as uh, Herb notes. Should we should we just have a kind of fire hose of that intelligence, or is is there a good reason to kind of keep some of it only only accessible to our leadership? Yeah, I, th- I think to a certain degree, you gotta you gotta kind of trust your your security apparatus of your state. And maybe there's some stuff they want to keep secret. Maybe they've got informants or there's spies or who knows what. But I think there's there's there are very specific policies that we should pursue as a country to kind of reduce the impact of this. I think one of the most concerning things, as far as I'm concerned, is is these foreign kind of state-owned corporations buying our our natural resources. Uh, I think that should be made illegally made illegal immediately. You know, Resolute Forest Products is owned uh, by what's ostensibly a CCP-affiliated or controlled company. So that means the Chinese Communist Party owns the rights to your timber, guys, on a huge part of your your province. The same is probably going to happen with Canfor. I think when when Jimmy Pattison kicks a bucket, I wouldn't be surprised if China makes a big play for Canfor. Uh, All this stuff should be uh, illegal. You know, we should we should have more control over our society, over the the future, the course of our economy. All this stuff, it's a huge issue, and uh, it's got to open up way beyond you know who's 
uh, how are they interfering in our elections? I think it's it's a way deeper problem than just that. All right, you got the last word on this same question. Should we just be opening up the floodgates of this intelligence? Well, they have to keep a certain amount of stuff undercover. They can't uh, let uh, the foreign governments who are doing this uh, know that they're onto them or how they get their information or that kind of stuff. So th they have to uh, they have to keep a lid on it to a certain extent. Uh, uh, but, you know, this kind of stuff has been going on for a long time. Uh, now, the latest is the Chinese and the Indian government and the Iranian government all interfering in things in Canada. And, uh, boy, that used to be TV shows about the American government. Don't you, me you remember Mission Impossible? That's <laughs> yeah. basically what that was about, interfering in other countries. True. <laughs> so, uh, but, but see, because we're the good guys, it's fine. And... Uh, I think that's just a fact of life. So we'll we'll never be party to all the information that CSIS or the RCMP have, and and we can't. It's interesting. The just the last point here. Uh, I've been paying attention to the bureau on Substack. The you know um, Sam Cooper who started breaking the foreign interference stuff when he was at I think Global, um, and and it kind of changes. You, you mentioned Mission Impossible. Uh, what he's what he's pointing out is that in fact the people who are doing this kind of interference are often uh, connected to organized crime, narco trafficking, etc. It doesn't. It's not the same as the James Bond or the Mission Impossible <laughs> kind of uh, you know spies coming in and and being you know intrigue and it's it's really just a very uh, you know other other governments probably ours included are using uh, really nasty folks to to get things done. Um, just want to mention that. Thanks, everyone, for your time here today. Fantastic show. Enjoy your weekend. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at yahoo.ca.